welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Daft Punk broke up. The poet Lawrence Ferlinghetti has died. And the world has become a much darker place. Trying to think of ways to cheer me up a little bit. So I thought, oh hey, I'll read a Samuel Beckett play. What better pick-me-up is there than to read a play about the futility of being. That really worked out well for my disposition and temperament. But if there wasn't darkness, there'd be no horror. And if there was no horror, there'd be no spook show. Tonight's show, I do what I always do. I'll be uh, pulling random story titles out of a jar, uh, newly fashioned uh, by my loving partner. And then when I pull the story titles, I'll be making up the stories as I go along. And if you'd like to submit any story titles, you can email them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com or if you know me personally you can just you know tell me or something or if you have means of co- of uh, contacting me uh, that are not creepy that would be ideal god damn am I ready to deliver tonight alright here we go jar has a really cool skull on it and a little note that says jar of spooks on it what a very loving thing okay this first story is called Fletcher is a pain oh, I got a notification on my phone uh, manage your twitch stream uh, from your phone yeah thanks Fucking Amazon. Thanks for having more availability in hypodermic me- hypodermic needles than freaking doctors' offices. You bunch of creeps. I never really knew Fletcher well. 
but everyone ensured me that uh, he was a pain and a total fucking creep. out of the Daimler cafeteria. That's all. That's all people would talk about. Oh yeah, Fletcher. That fucking guy. What a total creep. And I'll be like, oh yeah, what's wrong with the guy? And then someone will be like, oh, you know, just a fucking... Just, the guy's just like fucking there and it's fucking creepy, man. sound so bad, you know? Everyone has to be somewhere at any given point, unless they're dead. And my friend Diane was just like, yeah, well, I wish she was dead, you know? And I was like, oh, Diane, that's a bit harsh, you know? And she was like, yeah, but you don't know Fletcher, though, you know? He's a fucking creep. Don't trust him. Don't talk to him. Don't do any of that shit. He's a fucking menace on society, I think. The guy's like a fucking axe murderer without an axe. And I was like, oh, damn, Diane, that's a, that's a little bit harsh, don't you think? And then she was like, I don't give a damn about what's harsh. Fucking fuck that guy in his ears. up to me and he's just like oh did you hear about diane and i was like no what and then he was just like yeah she had a stroke and i was just like oh shit are you serious yeah she got she had a, her face went numb and everything and you know the, i was talking to the emt at the ambulance and he said that you know she might pull through uh, if she doesn't get covid in the hospital or something but Seems like a minor stroke, but even still, it's fucking brutal. And I was like, yeah, man, that's fucking, it's fucking gnarly. It's fucking wild. Yeah, maybe something was, I don't know, she seemed healthy. Maybe something really stressing her out or something. And then my office mate was just like, yeah, it's, I suppose it is a bit icky that we're back to work already during the pandemic. Thought about it in my head about yes, icky. That's a that's a word for it, I suppose. Not just about the pandemic itself, but all the stresses on society that uh, it's imposed upon. And the 
dilapidation that followed. Uh, so extreme to the point that you couldn't even blame the pandemic anymore. But yes, icky. That seems like a suitable word for it. And I said, yeah, it seems like she was really complaining about that guy Fletcher, you know? And then my office mate was just like, oh yeah, fuck Fletcher, fuck that guy. He would give her a stroke. Fucking creep. So I haven't even met Fletcher up to that point. And I ended up meeting Fletcher uh, the next day. setting on an assignment to uh, purchase some steel uh, so we can manufacture uh, the trucks uh, that our company develops, you know. That's what we do for work, sure. Half the time I don't even know what my job is, but that's neither here or there. And they're also paying me too much, if you ask me. a meeting Fletcher in, a, in the hallway on, a, on the third floor, the sales floor, and I was just like, hey, you're Mike, and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's me, and he's just like, hi, I'm Fletcher, and I was just like, well, Fletcher, it's good to meet you. So we uh, got to chatting. At first, we were talking about the steel purchase a little bit, then we kind of branched off to our own personal interests, you know. You know, branched off to, you know, we were talking about different red wines that we liked, you know. I was fond of the uh, Pinot Noir from the uh, from the vineyard of Oak Knoll. Fairly close by, one town over. Fletcher said he's been to that uh, vineyard before. And I reckon him, recommended a membership and all that. And they were talking about music a bit, and I found out that Fletcher was into the band Lightning Bolt. And I was like, holy shit, you like Lightning Bolt? I often never really meet any, anyone in a corporate environment that likes such a hardcore and early band like Lightning Bolt. Yeah, I fucking love Lightning Bolt. He was talking about uh, how he has a TikTok account and uh, where he specializes in watering his houseplants. And then he'd play Lightning Bolt uh, set as the music to him watering his plants. And I was like, huh, that's a... In my head, I was like, huh, that's a little weird, but, you know, everyone's got to keep busy during, uh, during these unprecedented times, am I right? Uh... We 
know, we ended up chatting for about 20 minutes, you know, while we had some downtime. Our bosses always say that we have to optimize our uptime, but, uh, I feel that, uh, true uptime optimization comes from utilizing your downtime. What goes down must come up, as I always say. We have a lot in common. I was like, yeah, man, it's cool. But yeah, we could do uh, the more... Talk about the steel assignment more tomorrow. And he was like, yeah, it sounds good. It sounds good. And I was like, alright, I'm gonna do some other shit I gotta do today. Then I'm gonna punch out for the day. And Fletcher was just like, yeah, sounds great. And then we sat quietly at the, t uh, at the table we were sitting at. I gave a nod. And he gave a very enthusiastic nod raising his eyebrows up and down one time. And I was like, uh, well, alright, see ya. And he was just like, bye bye So I got up from the table and started to walk off. And against my better judgment, I turned back. And I still see Fletcher, uh, sitting there, uh, staring at me with a big smile, you know. Seemed pretty hapless about it, you know, just like, yeah, enthusiasm. And I was just like, okay, cool. housekeeping stuff, you know. And then across the room, I see Fletcher. He's just standing there, staring at me. I didn't quite know what to make of it. Made eye contact with him at one point, and I just kind of nodded my head, raised, raised my eyebrows in an enthusiastic manner, like "Oh, hey, sup, man?" kind of gesture. And he just like also nodded in a very slow way, and then raised his hand and lowered it. But his gaze on me was unbending. Sky Fletcher kept staring at me. hard to say. He seemed, he seemed like a really nice guy when I spoke to him, and his demeanor was also very nice and very unassuming. But there was something just so absurdly menacing about Fletcher standing in the office area, just staring me down. starts to wind down and I start to pack my satchel and start to head out. And Fletcher's standing by the door, still staring at me. I eventually lost focus on him uh, throughout the day while I was working on other stuff. So I was walking out, I was just like, was he, was he staring at me the whole time? So I was just like, oh, hey, Fletcher. And he was just like, hey, man, how's it going? And I was just like, oh, you know, just gonna head back for the night. 
was like, cool, cool, it's really cool. And I was like, yeah. And I was nodding his head, I was nodding my head, raising my eyebrows with enthusiasm. Fletcher, also, mimicking my movements, nodding his head, raising his eyebrows. And I was just like, alright, well, see ya, bye. And he was all like, bye bye down that day, I'm just kind of thinking about, yeah, Fletcher's kind of a weird dude. I guess I can kind of see why people don't like him. So when I wake up the next morning, I have ten new messages. And they're all from Fletcher. And every single message encompassed a video of him watering uh, one of his houseplants. He has ten houseplants, as I later learned. And every video had the caption on it, Check it out, man. Check it out, man. Whether it was a succulent or a ficus. I'm so, I'm so well-versed in houseplants, because this guy has been blowing up my phone with these fucking houseplant watering videos. So when I go into work, I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't wanna, I don't wanna deal with this guy Fletcher, but we gotta work out this fucking steel sale thing, whatever our jobs are. So I eventually just see him in the lobby, which is this grand, plain white room with these large glass windows. And he was just like, oh, hi, Mike. And I'm just like, oh, hi, hey, Fletcher. And he was just like, did you get my videos? And I was just like, yeah, the the 10 houseplants ones. The 10 houseplant ones. And he was just like, yeah, I did it. Uh, they like to get water like in the middle of the night. So I didn't know if you were awake, but I thought, hey, if I send them all tonight, then he'll probably wake up to all 10 of them, you know? So I was like, yeah, well, I, I got them, Fletcher. Thanks. So we end, we end up uh, doing more of our project with the steel sale. And he would have he would have come off like a totally normal, unassuming dude if he wasn't such a fucking creep previously. And he's just like, you know, he would crack some jokes, you know, laugh raised his eyebrows, uh, stared at me a little bit. All with a very thick veil of normalcy. And I would just look at him and think, what the fuck is under those eyes, Fletcher? What are you hiding? What are you trying to disguise? What are you trying to cope with? Who are you, really? assignment that day. The second half of the day I was doing other shit. But when I was in the open office area, Fletcher was still standing in there, standing in that room staring me down. And at one point I walk up to him and I'm just like, hey, Fletcher, 
do you have any like other work you should be doing? And he was just like, oh yeah, man, yeah. And I was like, all right, should you uh, be doing that, I guess? And he was just like, yep, I'll get right on it, boss. And he said it like an automated response, which uh, disturbed me. So I went back to doing my work. Thinking about the, uh, the dense veil of normalcy that has plagued our society much harder, much, plagued our society much heavier than COVID-19, if you ask me. area. Sometimes he'd follow me. Uh, I don't know. I started to eat lunch in my car and just pack my own food. But he would just stand in the parking lot and stare me down. We had a, uh, we had a fire drill one day and he was, uh, we were in a crowd and we were, he was standing very close to me. When I explicitly told him that I'm that I heavily practice uh, social distancing whenever I can, but he didn't care. Every night he'd send me more houseplant videos. I learned the names of all of his houseplants. Bert, Herman, Marv. I've gotten to know all of them by proxy. So about two more weeks go by and we finally, finally finish our steel project, which in itself felt like an eternity. But I was happy to be done with it, and happy to be done with dealing with Fletcher. So in the last day of our project, I was just like, uh, and I haven't even confronted him on any of this, by the way. He's just been silently irritating me and steadily gnawing at my nerves. So I say, all right, Fletcher. I guess that's, uh, I guess this, this is the time when we part ways. And then he said, haha, yeah, man, you got it, boss. Two automated phrases. He's very keen on his automated phrases. I mean, I'll cut plenty of people slack if they can't be in the moment all the time. So if someone uh, tosses out an automated phrase here or there, I didn't, I wouldn't take that personally. But Fletcher's language was automation. 
personality he presented uh, at work was one-dimensional. And needless to say, I don't know what his deal was. But even more days passed by and I was just working on my own shit. Fletcher would still be staring me down with a big gaping smile. Make eye contact, he'd wave. And those fucking ears, man. So one day, when I feel like I can't take it anymore, I confront Fletcher by the exit of the open office area. And he says, oh, have a good night, man. And then I fucking lose it. I grab him by the shirt collar, and I say, Fletcher, you gotta leave me the fuck alone. All you do is stare at me from across the room where you follow me, or say hi and hello and how are you when you don't even mean it, and send me all these fucking videos of houseplants, Enough is enough, Fletcher. I fucking need you off my back. And then Fletcher laughed and he said, Huh, you got it, boss. And I just shake him off and I just leave. I just think, uh, maybe I should go back to working from home instead of going back to this office building. I don't know. Eventually I call in sick, uh, the next couple days. I say that I have a stomach flu, not the COVID thing, that I don't have a fever. I just needed a few days away from Fletcher, away from the thick veil of normalcy. The normalcy that was a lie for a lot of people. First sick day goes well. I'm just kind of hanging out by myself. I do some light reading, you know. I catch up on some movies that I've wanted to watch. A nice day to myself, you know. But then the second day I see him. It's fucking Fletcher. Outside my window, standing on my lawn. Staring me down. Made the mistake of making eye contact with him, and then he waved, and he says, "Like, hey, Mike." And then I, when I storm out of my house, I'm just like, "Fletcher, you gotta fucking get off my lawn, get out of my, get away from my house, get out of my life. You gotta go, Fletcher. You gotta go." And he says, "Like, hi, oh, you got it, man." still fucking standing there with that stupid fucking smile. I storm back into my house and shut my door and I start to freak out, start to hyperventilate. And something feels wrong, suddenly the, the left part of my body feels a little bit numb and it gets harder to breathe, and I collapse on the floor, and then I pass out, 
then I steadily wake up a little bit and I can see visions of me in an ambulance and Fletcher standing over me. And then I fade out and then when I fade back in, I see Fletcher talking to a hospital desk, filling out some forms. up I encounter a nurse in a hospital bed the nurse tells me that I had a minor stroke and that my recovery should be fairly swift and who would have thought that uh, I shared my hospital bed with uh, Diane my other co-worker who also got a stroke which I now know was caused by Fletcher somehow and she's staring at me and I'm staring back we don't have to say anything because we both know but then she opens her mouth slightly and she says he visits every day and I don't even have to ask who visits every day because at the doorway of the hospital room his dumb smile and his fucking ears. He's holding a bouquet of flowers. Fletcher stands and waves at me and says, Oh, hey, Mike. They exist in the world. That's uh. Those are the people who are trying to cause accidents on two seventeen. I believe it. They're just like, I'm gonna crash into you, and they're probably doing it with a smile. <laughs> if I'm gonna crash into you, the nice way. The nice way. <laughs> oh, did I move over all these pedestrians? I had no idea. Oh, whoops. Just wasn't looking. You know, after the first three bumps, I thought maybe that's something, but then I realized, oh wow, seven people. Whoops. <laughs> Yeah, Fletcher was indeed a pain. Alright, what other what other treasures are in this uh, jar of spooks tonight? Oh, no, baby. Yeah, baby! Yeah, baby! This next story is called About a Goat. <laughs> you know, I've had my fill of goats for the day. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> no, my, I don't know if I, my imagination can top the real thing, but mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's give it a whirl. I heard that they're nature's president. I heard that they make better dictators. <laughs> but aren't they the same thing, Kyle? Ah, that's right, Billy. If you are authoritarian, authoritarianism uh, takes place in many forms. 
uncentralized power toward a shared state of individuals, form an oligarchy, whatever. As I was telling little Billy about my political philosophies of authoritarianism, I was just like, uh, you know, ever since, ever since the 2016 election, I've been selling all these books about socialism, communism, capitalism. I haven't really subscribed to any specific uh, political or economic ideology. I'm just selling books, talking about shit, you know, pretending to be progressive or not pretending to be progressive, or pretending to be liberal or not pretending to be liberal. Really spewing out a bunch of just political jargon, hoping people will make sense of it enough to give me money to speak at their venues. And when society began to dilapidate in 2020 and 2021, I'm not my books for selling like hotcakes. Just talking about random, vague political things. Some people extrapolated their own meanings from it. Some people called me out for it, but they were not listened to. They didn't have the audience like I did. And even though the checks were cashed and the money was green, I was still feeling empty. You know, when I was a when I was a wee lad at 20, I was someone who believed in the highest pursuit of politics. I went to Occupy Wall Street with all my signs, and I even meditated there, brought some drums and cowbells. I was in it, man. And somewhere down the road, I just became a hack preacher selling random fucking books that don't really mean anything. Blending in with the things that people should be reading. But ultimately causing more static in the message of what's tried and true. And I don't even know what that is anymore. I was like Dante lost in the woods. Hoping for a a beacon, a sign. I wasn't seeking a martyr or salvation, you know. I wasn't a Marxist or anything like that. But just something, some sort of... I don't even know what. Oh, so lost. Me and my humble political ideals, where have they gone? Woe is me! So broken about my political theories. They mean nothing anymore. It's all just drivel. And we're all just drooling on each other until the next generation comes in and does the same thing. That's what I wanted to say. Maybe I could have been a bullshit caller. Politically, politically incorrect man, but nah, couldn't sustain it. So after my latest uh, virtual Zoom reading, 
just start to wander down the edge of a highway and then walk onto a prairie. The sun is glistening. Uh, the grass is glistening uh, against the sunlight. So profound and beautiful. When I looked at the sun, I was just like, oh, if only politics could be as beautiful and stunning. beneath my heels. Again, I wasn't seeking an iconoclast or a pure ide ideology. Just a beacon, you know? Just something to go off of. And then that's what I saw it. Across the pasture was a goat. This goat looked very heroic underneath the sun. The goat's shadow was elongated as the sun began to set a little bit. The goat looked at me and then just said, Meh. And I was just like, oh, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any food, little fella. I don't have any, um, grain or oats or whatever you eat goat braid again and I'm just like I don't know what you want and then in a low deep voice I just heard the phrase everything and I was just like oh shit did you say that or did I just hallucinate that and then I could just hear the deep goat voice again let's take it all man and I'm just like whoa fuck Listen, goat, I don't... I don't know you like that, alright? So I start to walk away, you know, like, fuck this, uh... Weird dictator goat, I don't want anything to do with that. how lost you are and I was just like what and the goat was just like everyone should be free don't you think and I'm just like well yes little goat I I do believe that is true certainly on an ideological level but so many generations have tried and failed to pull that off how would how would even you how would you do that little goat was just like, let's fuck shit up and figure it out later. And I was like, alright. I saw it as a sign. I've studied all the political, the great political thinkers. Read all the books and heard all the ideologies. Studied all the governments. It ends up being all the same shit over and over again. Maybe this goat has it figured out. Now, does this goat sound like a, like an arrogant asshole who think he knows what's up? Sure, perhaps. But what well-remembered political leader doesn't? You know, 
So the goat starts walking, and then I, I follow the goat. starting to get dark and their candles lit and there are several goats there and they they all had little berets one of them had a map in the center and it was clopping at it with its hoof and it was just like meh just tapping it over and over again letting the paper wrinkle of Wall Street. And then the goat was just like, we need to blow it up. And I'm just like, whoa. You want to blow up the Wall Street Stock Exchange? And all the goats brayed, And I was just like, well, I don't know, goats. That seems... I don't, I'm not a, you know, I'm a... I'm a political chameleon, but I'm not an extremist, you know? And all the goats started to chant, blow it up, blow it up. And I'm just like, well, sorry, little goats, but how would I even, how would I even do that? And then one of the goats brought over a bag and then unbuttoned it, and there's a bunch of dynamite in there. just like we want you to blow it up man and I'm just like you want me to blow up the Wall Street Stock Exchange and all the goats braid again and I was just like well I'm gonna have to sleep on it so I just walk off and go back along that edge of the highway and go back to my apartment and go to sleep and I have dreams of what it was like at Occupy Wall Street how we believed in something. How it really seemed like we can upend all the turmoils of society within a five week period. for sure. So we end up taking the Greyhound to New York, me and the several other goats, and I'm just like, oh my god. 
God, I'm really doing this. The whole fucking taxi driver Guy Fox thing or whatever the fuck. So we arrived at Wall Street. so we can get in through security. Our plan is to plant bombs in the, the main pillars of the building so we, they can all blow up at once. And then we're out of there as the building crumbles. think about it, like, with the way we set up the bombs, the way the building would collapse, I asked one of the goats, like, hey, what about, there might be bystanders and civilians that don't deserve to die, uh, involved in this. And then the goat I asked said, no blood, no salvation. And I'm just like, oh, fuck, I might be put over my head on this one, shit. I've gotten away with it. I start to go out of the main entrance. And the security guy says, Hey, he planted bombs! And I'm just like, what, huh? And suddenly all these security guys are chasing me down. And I'm sprinting, I'm running. And then they all tackle me, pummel me to the ground. The goats run off, I don't know where they are. Eventually, law enforcement arrive and they cuff me and book me and then punch me in the face a lot until I'm bleeding, get a broken nose. People have their phones out and they're filming me. I would later, later learn that, uh, that uh, the press would paint me as someone who's trying to single-handedly cause a revolt and revolution and all that. But even in that moment when I was being cuffed, I knew that the the, go the goats framed me and used me as a patsy. I don't know what kind of larger scheme that they had. Perhaps I'll never know. The, the best clue that I have to what the goats were truly up to was when I was arrested that day forcibly escorted out of the Wall Street building. Outside of it, I didn't see the iconic bull statue that's very well known and has always been outside of it. But as I was walking out, instead of a bull, it was a goat.
jokes that want to blow up Wall Street, they want to own Wall Street. <laughs> Got some more of that story. Yeah, Ozzy wants, wants Wall Street. That's right. He wants, Ozzy. yeah. Yeah, with the with the rats and the rabbits and who knows. I think the rabbits are centric in this whole thing. I don't even really, really care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they, they're on their own game. I th- yeah, they're you on their. They've got a seat set up and they don't want it. They're on their separate enterprise. Cause, yeah. Because whenever they escape, they just kind of like hang out and just like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I'd like to go back to the cage for a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's like that, uh, it's like that one, uh, that dog meme comic, you know, it's like that, uh, that one dog comic when it's just like, there's a dog holding a frisbee and he's just like, uh, like, uh, oh yeah, throw the frisbee. And then someone tries to take frisbee and it's just like, no take, only throw, you know, kind of like that. That's with most animals, if not most people, you know. What could be next in the the jar of spooks? What could it be? I don't know. There's several in here. They could say anything. I've they learned. <laughs> All right. This next story is called Mozart Must Die. Yeah. Oswald spent much of his life studying the minute methods of classical music in composition, piano, opera, choruses, you name it. All the minutia of Western classical composition. Oswald fucking knew it. One day Oswald was watching uh, the news and saw a guy who tried to blow up Wall Street, allegedly saying he was being framed by goats. And he thought about Guy Fawkes uh, trying to blow up the French Parliament. And that inspired Oswald to do something similar. When he saw that newsreel, he he knew what he had to do. He had to kill Mozart. One problem struck him though. How can you kill someone who's already dead? Not in the context of a body or animation or anything. But Mozart's uh, psyche and sensibility and his music, his ways of thinking, 
has infiltrated so many facets of Western culture. Couldn't even escape it even if you wanted to. Even if you heard one stray melody that went doodly doo 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 doo, be like, ah, oh, fucking Mozart. That was you. That was you, buddy. When he was coming of age, everyone tried to tell him that, oh, Mozart is the greatest genius in the Western world. Smarter than Einstein. And Oswald was just like, no. Mozart was a one trick pony that focused on the doodly doots just to get laid and to get famous. Because people were into that. And the voices of dissent would be like, oh, don't be ridiculous. Mozart wrote his music on the, on the vast tapestry of the entire spectrum of the human experience. And then Oswald was just like, oh, yeah, name one song. Name one song that doesn't go doodly doodly doo that he did. Name one. One. At all. Like, zero percent. Not one that starts off soft and somber and then doesn't go doodly doo. No, like, I'm waiting. Tell me one song that he did. That was not doodly doo. No one's ever thwarted him in this line of reasoning. Every fucking Mozart song goes doodly doo 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 I can't play Mozart. I just learned. Anyway. Oswald tried to scheme. Had a bunch of bulletin boards uh, throughout his apartment. Pieces of paper and little pieces of string uh, connected to some pieces of paper and then to the other another piece of paper on the same bulletin board. Trying to call sch schematics. He was trying to do so do something more than to take a life or kill a person. He had to cause a psychic disruption so great that it could eliminate Mozart from the consciousness of human society. That is a grand feat. He tried a little ways of doing it. Uh, he's worked at some record stores and uh, They'd have Mozart on the catalog. They would, uh, he would just like chuck them, chuck the records and CDs and stuff, so no one could listen to it. He would hack streaming services like Spotify and Pandora, Amazon Music, etc., and then try to disable the capabilities for Mozart downloads. But they would only be uh, temporary errors, and the people working for those streaming services would fix them eventually. Mozart is a hot seller, because people fucking love Mozart, apparently. But still, Oswald knew that his feat was greater than this. It's not about eliminating Mozart, because he's already left the impression on society. He has to eliminate the impression of Mozart. thought, how the fuck am I going to do that? Until one day, he catches up with a friend from high school on the phone, and they're chatting about stuff, you know, people they dated back then, uh, their shared interest in classical music. 
Oswald's friend was just like, Oh, by the way, uh, remember that conversation about Mozart we had a couple years ago? And Oswald was just like, I don't know, man, I have so many, I have so many goddamn conversations about Mozart, I can't even keep track anymore. And then Oswald's friend was just like, oh, alright, well, um, well, anyway, you were asking me about, uh, is there a song that Mozart did that doesn't go doodly doo 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 doo? And I, I found one. And then Oswald was just like, What do you mean you found one? And then his friend was just like, Yeah, I found a song that doesn't go doo 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 doo. It's just a very, very, a lot of emotional swells, a lot of block chords, you know? Very. Very simple emotional stuff. It's really great, you know. It doesn't have a uh, the what you I guess you call the Dooley Dudes a gimmick. I fucking love the Dooley Dudes personally, but but yeah, man, it's just uh it's right as rain. It's a great song. And then Oswald was just like, "Well, send it to me." So Oswald's friend sent him the song. Oswald listened to it. And it was indeed a Mozart song. It had his style and sensibility to it. But there wasn't a single part of the song that went doodly doo 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 doodly doo doo doo. And Oswald thought, oh, goddamn, this might be it. So Oswald uh, wiped the dust off his piano and he got to work. He had the idea if he wanted to vanquish Mozart from the human experience. He had to write a bunch of songs and then claim they were Mozart works and just make them really shitty and not have any doodly doots. Maybe some can have doodly doots and maybe people will be convinced and think it's part of the process. They can reveal Mozart being a flawed composer and musician. Perhaps he'll take the wind out of his sails enough so that he'll be forgotten as centuries go on. Oswald thought he knew a lot about music and piano, so he had the, the great challenge of trying to write a Mozart song, but also having to be really bad, so he took a deep breath and then... like that. Called it Mozart. He was actually surprised how similar to Mozart it sounded. <laughs> so he bribed some music historians saying, hey, you gotta fucking tell people that Mozart did this. And then they were just 
way. I fucking love Mozart. He's just like, dude, my evil scheme isn't working out. Alright, I need you to do this for me. He eventually found a music historian with no soul or no capacity for critical thought. He's just like, yeah, I'll say Mozart did it. Fuck it. Shake up the classical world a little bit. Haha, <laughs> like uh, the Griswold, Edgar Allan Poe thing. And then Oswald was just like, yeah, whatever, man. So nine hours of uh, counterfeit Mozart material was released upon the world. A lot of discourse and classical music forums and social media discussed Mozart. A new contextualization of Mozart. What people what to do about it, how to feel about it. Is the music good? Is it not good? How does it add to his body of work? So many questions, but little answers. And Oswald watched all this discourse, and he laughed manically. It's like, yes, all these Mozart fans. Not so into Mozart now, are ya? He thought if he, if he could drag Mozart to a level of just like... Of someone being like, yeah, I like his good stuff, then that might be enough to vanquish him from the psyche of the human experience for centuries to come. And that's how that discourse was steered at first. But then it got to the point uh, where people were dismissing it, just like, oh, maybe he did this stuff when he was younger, versus like, oh, maybe he was experimenting. Added to the context of the grand ouvroir of Mozart, people are seeing it as part of his genius, part of the process. Because they can't all be zingers, no, that'll be impossible. But no, people saw Mo people were seeing this uh, shit counterfeit Mozart music as the building blocks of Mozart's true genius, and added another layer of the way people conceptualize Mozart therefore further cementing him in the Western world. Oswald was starting to lose his shit a little bit. After a scheme was executed so perfectly, he was just like, oh, I tried so fucking hard to do this, but now I might have added centuries onto Mozart's legacy. Son of a bitch, goddammit. Oswald runs out of options. Starts to binge drink, walk the streets. He'd hear Mozart from car windows and people's houses on the radio in supermarkets in commercials he's even heard his uh, counterfeit music in commercials he'd be watching a YouTube video about a lecture about Samuel Beckett and then randomly in the middle he'd hear his own counterfeit Mozart music which he thought was even worse than Mozart's music
eventually Oswald loses the sight of himself. And his life only becomes about Mozart. Whenever he talks to people, he always talks about Mozart. He feels that he's, since he's created that counterfeit Mozart music, that he's become a part of Mozart, part of his legacy, and he cannot detach himself from it. He's become the very thing that he's grown to despise. And at some point, like for any man, it becomes too much to handle. And so in the pit of darkness, Oswald commits suicide, tragically. People cared about him more for his loss, rightfully so. But there are things about Oswald that he didn't open up to other people. Mainly his loathing for Mozart in the later stretch of his life. And his evil scheme to thwart Mozart's existence. friends and family just only knowing Oswald to the extent of someone who constantly talks about Mozart at his funeral they play magic flute I get a title like Mozart Must Die. You know. <laughs> Fucking Mozart. Mm-hmm. Ah, fuck that guy. Alright, I'm, uh, I'm gonna do one more spook. Actually, you know what? I'm, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it now. Yeah, it's getting pretty late. As much as I... This has been a very fun seller episode, you know. <laughs> And there are many more to come, because this quarantine won't fucking end, ever. <laughs> quarantine spook show is fucking forever, because this goddamn pandemic is forever. Pandemic 2024. Alright, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. your lovers close uh, enjoy life and don't be too afraid of the dark that's right <laughs>